Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. This is Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the healthcare practice group at Retzel and Andrus. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about how to handle an LOI that you might receive to acquire your practice. I very often get calls from physicians who've received an LOI or who may have already signed one. So I wanna give a heads up to those of you that may be receiving one about some of the things to look, to look at and what the next step should be. First of all, it's always my recommendation that you share your LOI with both your financial advisor or your accountant, as well as your lawyer. There are a lot of things that can and should be negotiated at the LOI level before it's signed and you move forward. This is so we can make sure that you really understood what you're signing and so that we make all the requests that we may have and know that it's part of the deal. Often a buyer will assume that there has been a meeting of the minds once that LOI is signed. And when you later go back and ask for changes, that doesn't always go over well and may be rejected. So first of all, make sure that you're talking to your team before you sign that LOI. Now, one of the first things a doctor is going to do when they get that LOI is look at the purchase price. They may either immediately be excited or not excited, but I think it requires a little bit more inquiry before you make any decision. First of all, in any negotiation, the LOI is always just a starting place. I've seen many LOIs negotiated uh, to very different numbers by the time we're done. So always assume it's a starting place. And this comment goes for everything in the LOI. You don't know if you don't ask. So don't assume that this is all you're gonna get. You can always ask for more. The purchase price in an LOI is typically composed of an EBITDA number. And this number is more of an art than a science. So when you see that number that's calculated in there as being your EBITDA, you need to talk with your financial advisor and understand from talking with the buyer exactly how they came up with that number. There are nuances, things that should have been taken out, things that should have been added in, et cetera. And we need to make sure the way it's being calculated is appropriate. For example, maybe there were one-time expenses that should not have been counted. Uh, how are gift cards impacting uh, your EBITDA? Uh, et cetera. So you've got to look at the different things that are in there. Obviously, the higher the EBITDA, the better. And we want to get that number up if we can. This is something that can be negotiated by the parties. Another thing to think about is the date they're using. A lot of times it'll be EBITDA for the trailing 12 months. So if you gave them some numbers, for example, for 2022, and they put in a December 31, 2022 calculation date, but we're now heading into April, is that the number that should be used? So you may want to consider updating that EBITDA if you think your performance might be better um, or talking about what that might look like and if the right date is being used. Another part of the purchase price is the multiple. So it may say six, seven, eight, whatever the multiple is. I always recommend my clients ask for more and see where we end up. You're going to want to look at the industry, what other people in your specialty and your region are receiving, and make sure that you're within, um, you know, the area of competition uh, based on the type of practice that you have. Now, once we can increase those numbers, you may be getting much more towards a purchase price that is acceptable to you. But these are certainly not the only important things to be thinking about in an LOI. So for example, 
how is that LOI to be paid? Well, a lot of times they will pay a portion of it in cash and a portion of it as a rollover into the buyer, if it's a private equity company, their management or other type of holding company. Most of the LOIs that I'm seeing these days are about 80% cash, 20% rollover, but that varies. I've seen higher and lower. This is something that should be negotiated. Depending on your knowledge of who the buyer is, you may be willing to take on more of a rollover interest, but you're going to want to ask some questions about the buyer. Uh, how much are they leveraged? What is their plan for growth, etc.? Many of my clients have done very well with the rollover investments that they've made, but we see changes in the industry. Things could be slowing down. So if you're late getting on board when you're selling your practice, you also need to understand whether you're going to see those type of returns if you sell now. So that's a really important piece of it. The cash part also will likely have a piece of that held back uh, into escrow. And that money is held for a period of time to make sure there's no issues that later arise related to some of the promises being made by the seller in the agreement. I like to argue for as short a period of time as possible, maybe 12 months and the smallest amount possible. That's something that may or may not be included in the letter of intent, but it often is. So understand what that means and try and keep uh, the length of time and the amount as short as possible. That will be held back from the cash portion and released at the time that is agreed upon. So it's important to understand that won't be paid at closing. Another important thing to understand about the deals that are being made is usually it's going to be an asset transaction that will require you to be lean and debt-free, which means you've got to see what are the debts out there that need to be paid off. That could be um, loans, lines of credit, uh, equipment liens, etc. And sometimes things that you didn't realize have a lien may have one. It's a good idea to search um, online and you can also use a service to find out what the state has recorded as a lien against your practice. The reason this is so important is these need to be paid off by closing. So if you don't have cash sitting in your account to take care of this, it's going to be reduced out of the purchase price, which again reduces the amount of cash available at closing. How that cash is distributed amongst the partners is another important thing to think about. You'll want to talk with your financial advisor. It depends on the type of entity you are, an S corporation uh, versus a C corporation, whether you're a partnership or some other type of organization. And it's really important to understand what you can and can't do with how those amounts are going to be distributed. All right, so let's keep going. What else in the LOI is important? And by no means am I covering everything here, but how are your employees going to be treated after closing. Do you want to put some protections in there? That often will go in the letter of intent as well. You may want to preserve their seniority, their compensation, their benefits, things like that. What about your deal post-closing? This is something that I spend the most time on when doing these transactions because what I want to do is really protect my doctors. A lot of doctors have done a great job growing their practice and that's one of the reasons that the private equity company wants to buy them. So how can we maintain some of that lifestyle post-closing. Typically, it'll come down to a good description of how many hours you're expected to work, the scheduling of those hours, the time off, the call. What we like to do is use language that preserves what was in effect prior to the date of the deal. And that's great language to use. Sometimes we go into a little bit more detail, but those are really important things to talk about when you're doing the LOI. If they have plans to come in, they want you to work more hours, they want you to oversee other locations that don't belong to you, 
Um, we need to know these things ahead of time. That may not be exactly what you're envisioning. And this is, you know, very true, especially for physicians that are looking for this as a retirement vehicle. So we really need to understand that. Another important piece of what your life will be like post-closing is understanding those outside activities that you may be involved with and revenue that you're generating from those. We need to keep those excluded and make sure you can keep the revenue. Most employment agreements, once you do one of these transactions, will say that you're exclusive and all revenue belongs to your new employer. Well, that's something that you may not want to agree to, and we need to carve it out. We've had success uh, preserving positions outside directorships, separate companies, inventions, research, etc. So you don't know unless you ask. And this is one of those things where you really want to be on the same page with the buyer, or this may not be the deal for you to think about doing. Um, so all of those are really important elements in terms of what your future is going to look like. Another related item is control and management of the practice post-closing. Now, it's not going to really be 100% your practice anymore. You understand the assets won't belong to you. There may be staff there that is not your staff. But for many physicians, it's really important that they still have an essential say in those items that impact their patients. That could be the type of medications being prescribed, the staffing levels, the number of patients per hour, the type of services being offered. So talking about that ahead of time, and this may not end up being something that goes in the LOI, but you also need to make sure that you and the buyer are aligned. You have to get a good vibe from them that this is somebody that you want to be in bed with for the next however many years. And you need to understand that once you work for them, you're going to lose some of that say unless it's preserved in writing. Now, speaking about how much time you're going to be working, most private equity companies are looking for about three to five years as a commitment post-closing. It's important to understand that you cannot leave before that time period in most cases. In some cases, we do see the purchase price paid out over time. So if you were to leave earlier, you would just be giving up some of the purchase price. Additionally, we do see sometimes that there is a bonus. Maybe it's tied to earnout. Maybe it's tied to profit of the location. That also can be lost if you leave earlier, if you're not locked in in another way. What about vesting? The rollover interest that I mentioned earlier may only vest once you've been there for a certain amount of time. So understanding how termination can occur and how it impacts things like bonuses, rollover interest and purchase price are really key to understand. And that all is decided at the letter of intent. So that's why you need to really pay attention to these things. All right. So hopefully that was helpful. Some things to think about as you move forward. And of course, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions, but hopefully somebody out there who is about to sign an LOI without talking to an advisor will you know, have a better idea of some of the things they're looking at, or we'll think twice and reach out for some help before they sign. This is Erica Adler, Health Law Hotspot. You can see more of our posts at ralaw.com and on Health Now Radio. Thanks so much. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Wetzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Wetzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.